Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Joining me to wrap up the Astros regular season and talk postseason and give us a midweek Texans report is my co-host, Sports Radio 610, Sean Bajani. If you don't know us, you're getting 45 years combined in sports journalism between us, 35 years covering Houston sports, so you're in good hands. And we go to the Astros, Sean, because they finish with 106 wins, one less than their team record. So the regular season is over, but it feels like man, we've been waiting for the postseason since June. <laughs> yeah, that's first world problems, I guess. You know, as a Houston Astros fan these days, over the course of the last five, six seasons, that's kind of the, been the way that it has uh, been the way that it has. It's we've we've been spoiled. You know, I mean, you secure the division. It seemed like four months ago you were sporting a 13 and a half game lead if you were the Astros over the Mariners. And, you know, there have been some teams behind them jockeying for position. But, I mean, position for what? Just to finish uh, a, a long ways away in second place in the AL West. But, I mean, it's been fun. I've enjoyed it. And that's what uh, I think kind of makes us more nervous than anything when this year approaches, this time of year approaches, rather. It's because – well, there's no real barometer within your division, and you look forward to those series against the Yankees and the Astros won four of those five games in uh, dominating fashion in terms of what they were able to do on the mound. Hitting, you know, that's been one of my uh, biggest concerns, I guess, all season long. When I look at this team, certainly, you know, you'd stack them up against uh, any other any other opponent, if it's the Yankees, if it's the Dodgers, if it's uh, another dangerous team like the Blue Jays or whoever, top to bottom, their lineup is fantastic. But um, I don't remember, Robert, and maybe you do, <clears throat> just in 2017 and just any at any point over the last five years, this team with guys like Tucker and Alvarez and Altuve was hitting 260 well into July. Um, Bregman, you know, like they've gone through really long bouts individually with struggles. And I don't really remember that being the case in 2017. I feel like everybody was really consistent throughout. And so I get a little concerned, like when this time of year approaches, when we have a season like this, where we've seen slumps from guys, um, because you never know when the next one's going to come. Yeah, it's been more uneven, I would say. Yeah, with the hitting, it's just been up and down. It's like a roller coaster, and it's, sometimes it's a roller coaster from night to night. It seems like they get 12 one day, and you go, well, okay, that means they're going to get nothing the next day. And But the one thing that you look at this, and if you look at it in totality, it's amazing. Six straight postseason appearances. Verlander probably wins the Cy Young. Altuve and Jordan arguably both in the top four in baseball as hitters this year. Top four in OPS right now as we speak right after the uh, end of the Astros last game Bregman's OPS for the second half of the season is near 900 so he is playing at the MVP level basically that he was playing three years ago Kyle Tucker became the only Astro besides Jeff Bagwell with 30 home runs 25 steals and 100 RBIs all in the same season Ryan Stanek a 1.15 ERA that's the lowest of any Astros reliever in their history. I mean, we you could talk about the weaknesses of the offense, but I mean, if you if you're telling me my two concerns going into the postseason, it's okay that the whole team gets into a slump offensively in a series. Um, but it's it's going to be hard because I've got a lot of confidence the way Jordan and Altuve and 
Tucker and Bregman are all playing right now offensively. And then the other thing that I worry about a little bit is Jeremy Pena at shortstop, because if it's a great play, he's going to make it. But if it's just a basic old routine grounder to shortstop, I hold my breath every single time because, you know, it's a lot of errors and just a lot of real. I mean, if that's if it's a focus issue, there shouldn't be a focus problem in the playoffs. But I, it's still it's still got me a little bit uh, a little bit worried. Well, I mean, it's kind of an interesting point you make. Um, I, I would like to see the range of difficulty on some of the balls that he has committed, on all of the balls that he's committed errors on, as you say, because it, it does seem like it's a routine play. But I'd like to see the range of difficulty on those balls because you could be onto something, and I'm I'm really extrapolating this out a little bit, but what was Carlos Correa known for, you know, the previous five, six years that he was a Houston Astro, being clutch in the postseason, you know, rising uh, up, you know, when the stage is the biggest and the lights are the brightest. And maybe, you know, Jeremy Pena enjoys, you know, the hard stuff. Maybe he enjoys the drama. Um, He's certainly grown up in an organization that has had a lot of it uh, over the course of the last five years. Uh, with World Series appearances and playing in some of the most exciting postseason series um, that that have that have occurred in Major League Baseball history, at least since I've been alive, um, so I, I'm kind of anxious to see that Pena. Yeah, you kind of side eye him a little bit because he is a rookie, but I mean, look how he's come on lately, Robert. I mean, he's swinging the bat pretty good. The fielding is one thing, but I was really more concerned with the bat. I was really impressed that he was able to maintain a 245, 250 batting average throughout the entirety of the season because, boy, it seemed like if there was ever a guy that would starve for a hit, it was Jeremy Pena. It seemed like that guy went through ginormous you know, slumps, uh, in particular the second half of the season. It was like, man, where is this guy? But I think we get so clouded by you know, Kyle Tucker and Jordan Alvarez and Jose Altuve, who is, it is not to be understated. Go back and look at that guy's numbers from about the end of July uh, to the close of the season today. He was hitting at around 260. And to finish the season as a 300 hitter with an OPS of 900, I mean, that's doing some raking. And we talked about him a little bit last show. And I can't tell you just how impressed I am with him that he's been able to make adjustments you know, still drive the ball out of the yard um, and still be that guy to a certain degree, Robert, that we kind of grew up with in this organization. Somebody that, you know, was a singles and doubles hitter and, you know, was fast on the Bates pass and making things happen with his legs. He's certainly not stealing any bases, uh, you know, in recent years, but he looks he looks like a real complete player right now and and I think you know in his age 32 season for him to have done what he has in the second half has been really impressive so he might be getting hot and staying hot at the right time if you ask me today what what the Astros biggest weakness is going into the postseason you have to kind of really really look at it under a magnifying glass and I may be being nitpicky but you know, Ryan Presley is a guy that I, I worry about, you know, maybe just the back end of that bullpen because you don't know how it's going to shake out. Is it going to be Will Smith? Is it going to be Phil Maton mixed in with Montero and Neris and Stanek? That makes me a little nervous, the usage there and how Dusty's going to uh, employ those guys. The only thing that makes me nervous is if Will Smith or Phil Maton sneak their way onto the playoff roster because they're not one of the 12 best guys on this staff. And the Astros' strength 
as everybody knows, is the pitching staff. And it's the best one through 12 I've ever seen with the Astros. And it's got to be all time, all time best as pitching staffs that we've seen, period. And I say 12 guys because I assume they're going to go with the 12-man staff in the ALDS like they've done the past couple of years. The four starters look set in stone, Sean, since we've seen Garcia and Urquidy out of the bullpen the last few days. And they said they're going to experiment a little bit about what they're going to do in the playoffs. The only question for me is Christian Javier or Lance McCullers the fourth starter because Christian Javier has made quite a case for himself to be the third starter. He's just been dominant recently. Um, his his numbers this year overall, if you look at him, are pretty dominant. And, you know, the veterans McCullers, and he's got all the playoff experience. So do you go with the batter or you go, are you going with the hottest pitcher? I mean, I, I, I think there is uh, a lot to be said about postseason experience and having been there, done that before. And on top of that, you know, Lance McCullers is – throwing the ball terrific um his ability to you know show a strike for 55 57 feet is amazing i mean the balls the the, the balls that he was throwing the other day the, the off-speed stuff the sliders curveballs i mean boy he's looking good and i he gave up that home run to start the game i think was that first pitch i believe it was but, I mean, man, after that, you know, the guy was absolutely nails. I mean, McCullers has got to be in the mix. Maybe you worry a little bit about his endurance because in that game a couple of days ago, his pitch count was kind of getting up there, and you kind of wondered, okay, is this guy going to be able to give you five, going to be able to get you into the sixth inning? And that's kind of – that's postseason baseball at its best, you know, when you talk about dr- drama is, man, how deep can your starter go without it being too taxing on a guy who you may need to pitch again on short rest, depending on how a series plays out. And so I, I worry about that stuff. Maybe I'll backtrack a little bit and say that's maybe the Astros' biggest weakness or maybe my biggest concern for them going into the postseason is that sort of usage. Well, I mean, I say like big question mark, Javier or McCullers. This is like rich people's problems. Well, do you pitch, put, which guy do you put in the fourth hole? You know, who is the worst of those two? Two guys with electric stuff, uh, two guys who have been fantastic in the postseason. And look at what this Astros starting pitching staff has done. They have gotten you deep into games all season. There is a reason why this bullpen has been great. It's not just because they have really good stuff, which they do. But they haven't been taxed all year because the starters go deep in every single game. And you know when that matters, and you know what it should matter, is the next month. And we're going to find out what that means to this bullpen and what that means to this entire staff that they have been able to go long every game. And they are trained because Dusty has let Fromberg go deep into games. He's let Christian Javier go deep into games. He's let some of the younger guys do that so it's not just been Verlander and so you've got that not only that if any of those guys get in trouble and Arquiti or Garcia is on the postseason staff they've had pretty good seasons you can get two three innings out of two of the best pitchers that any team would have had in most of their starting staffs in the playoffs so I mean that's the benefit not to mention Hunter Brown and what he's done since he's been up and I expect him to be, like I said, on the postseason staff. Come on, Click and Dusty. We know you want to put him on the postseason staff. I, you know, if it, if it comes down to just performance and, and a guy's stuff and how difficult he makes it to 
to hit and, 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 and to kind of snip a guy out. I mean, Hunter Brown is, yeah, it's a small sample size, but I mean, that's why you have him in your arsenal, isn't it? I mean, you didn't need to call him up to get you to win the division by 13 and a half games or 12 games or whatever it is. You didn't need him to win you a division, put you into a certain seat. No, you had that, you know, cinched up before he even arrived. And so you get him up, you get him a little experience, you get him into a routine, what it's like to be with the big ball club for a reason. And I, I think that reason has got to be because they think that he can help them in the postseason. Let me ask you a question. As you were kind of talking there, I, I started thinking about these things in my mind. Like, can you get behind Justin Verlander, Luis Garcia, Lance McCullers, and Framber, or maybe – Justin Verlander, Framber, Luis, and McCullers as your one through four rotation in the postseason with the option of maybe using Javier as a piggyback with one of those. Maybe it's McCullers. Um, we've seen the piggyback a little bit, maybe once or twice in the last month the Astros have used that. Is that something you see them going, utilizing going forward? I've said this since last year. Christian Javier has got – the two, one of the two or three best, two or three, I just call it the two or three best stuff on the staff. And he should have been ready to start last postseason. And I get it. He's good out of the bullpen, but you know what? He's also really good as a starter. He's great as a starter. And it's much more valuable to have more innings out of your best arm than less innings out of your best arm. And, you know, I just don't think Garcia at this point is one of the six best starters. So I, th what, you know, you had mentioned his name, you throw him out. I don't even think, I mean, one of your five best starters, I don't even think he's one of your five best starters. So I wouldn't have had him start if anybody it would be or but right now, I mean, Javier has earned it. He should be in the starting rotation. Um, look, Christian Javier is not, is likely not going to get in trouble. He just gets it going in this, fifth, sixth, seventh inning. So unless he's out of there in like the first innings, like something really bizarre happens, you're getting some innings out of him. So you, you, you're you not going to need uh, somebody else because like the old days, you would worry about him a little bit. Like he's going to throw a lot of pitches, but not the Christian Javier I've seen this year. He He's become much more efficient as a starter. And yeah, I, I, I yeah, he's got to be a starter at this point. He's got to, he's been so dominant recently he's been so dominant yeah I, I i i really won't argue with you there um i i'd think about luis garcia you know um and i'm not thinking as hard about it as maybe you or just maybe you're just totally discounting it all it sounds like but i i think he's a guy that you know he's got a little experience in the postseason um, and I, I just think he brings a different element of preparedness, you know, for the opposition. He just throws it different. Um, and I think the element of, uh, you know, having to adjust, you know, on a day in and day out basis with a guy like that gives you a little bit of a strategic edge, a, a different kind of a look to mess with a hitter's tempo um, in the box. And so that's really my my line of thinking, because, you know, we've talked about it before. I mean, I can't make uh, a better point than you did in terms of, you know, what Christian Javier is. And look, Jose Urquidy, his ability to, uh, you know, pitch the soft contact, and he's been there, done that before as well, has got the experience. He's a bulldog. That is exactly the type of guy. I mean, you you think about the mentality and the 
the mental toughness you're going to be trotting out on that mound with Justin Verlander being your ace, but Framber's a bulldog, Okiti's a bulldog, Lance, you know, loves that stage, and he's just a bulldog as well. Um, you know, I, I, I'd like to see Luis in that setting. Um, I, I have faith in him. I have a lot more faith in him as a starter than I do for some of these other guys in the back end of this bullpen, I'll tell you that right now. And I just think everybody who's meant something to this team in the regular season, Luis will have an opportunity, I believe, to to help this team and contribute in the postseason. I just don't know in what way yet. Yeah, really, frankly, I'm 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 wondering if he's going to make the initial postseason staff because it's a shorter series. Uh, you don't need as many pitchers, and Garcia is somebody – that takes a while, it seems like, to get going during games. He also, another reason I don't particularly like him as a starter is the third time through the lineup is when he starts to struggle. And I would rather have somebody like Javier who seems to get stronger and stronger as the the game goes on. But, um, yeah, looking forward to the postseason. I'm likely going to do some sort of uh, preview of that coming up. And don't forget to subscribe, like, and comment if you're watching this on YouTube, even if you're not. You know, on YouTube, if you're listening to us, go to YouTube and make a comment. We'd love to hear from you. It's a great way to support the show. Don't forget to look for our live Texans post-game show right after Sunday's game. Had a little technical issue with my mic in the last one, but I promise you I'm going to sound better on Sunday. And if you miss it, you can always stream it later. Plus, we'll react to your comments if you are here in the live session. So it's a good reason to tune in live. Tell all your friends about the live shows too. And speaking of those winless Texans that uh, we're, we're just got to, <laughs> it's got something, something different's got to happen. And any news on rookie linebacker, Christian Javier's return from the injury. Cause that they need something in this uh, linebacking course, somebody who can tackle. Christian Harris. I mean, sorry. Yeah. Christian, I'm thinking I got baseball on my mind. Yeah. Hey, that's totally cool. Um, yeah. Christian Harris. Uh, he returned to practice today uh, for the first time since injuring his hamstring in uh, training camp. Um, I don't even know that we've actually heard him speak to the media, to be quite frank. I couldn't remember a time at training camp where he met with the media. If he did, it was once before he'd gotten hurt and that was it. So uh, Lovey Smith, was asked numerous times today about Christian Harris and when he could contribute in a game. And he remained noncommittal on that, uh, very, you know, close to the vest, buttoned up, wouldn't give us much. You have to think about, um, and they're also getting, uh, you know, Mario Addison back, who I think we'll talk about here in a little bit. But, you know, those guys coming off of short-term IR, Robert, there's a 21-day window to exercise them on a 53-man roster. The Texans just so happen to have one of those spots available. They're, they're only dressing 52, um, you know, right now. And so Addison coming up, he would utilize that spot. Harris being a rookie and then playing this game against the Jacksonville Jaguars Sunday, and then there's a bye week. There's a lot more ramp-up time for Harris. Maybe he makes an appearance, you know, gets – a series or two under his belt Sunday against the Jaguars. Let's see how that plays out. But I think, you know, just in terms of getting his feet wet, but I think it wouldn't even shock me in the least if just he gets used to practicing in full with the team on the daily for the next week and a half. And it maybe makes his debut week eight uh, for the Texans next game following Jags in the bye week. So um, nothing, com not you know, very noncommittal today from Lovey Smith, but also very excited in getting him on the field. Um, and seeing what he can do. This is a guy who's got a 
five, I believe it is, you know, 40 time. He's a sideline to sideline linebacker. Should really help, um, you know, the Texans' ability to stuff a run. And, you know, in some of these plays, they've been getting kind of burned on, you know, these little little bubble screens and these quick out routes and just letting guys run. We saw Eckler do that against the Texans a couple of times this past weekend. He'd be a guy to really be able to shut that down. And just his smarts, too. That's what people are really anxious to see. The last guy, last time, by the way, Robert, he took the field uh, and played an actual football game was in the uh, national championship game against Georgia when uh, his Alabama team lost. In that game, he had three sacks and a forced fumble. Terrific game from him. That's the last time he's played an actual football game. But after that game and really throughout his college career, everybody's talked about how smart and instinctual he is. So we're all looking forward to seeing that. Remind people, when was the last time you saw Christian Harris even on a practice field? It's been a while, hasn't it? He's out there every day um, chopping it up with his linebacker coach, Miles Smith. I mean, actually running around and doing things. When was the last time that hap- that's happened? Training camp, like I said. Um, that, that's been the last time. you got to go back. And we watched him stretch and run with the ones this morning before the whistle blew and you know they walked us off the, the football field. But that was really cool to see because, man, he looked good moving around, just quick, explosive, and just some of the drills that he was doing. That was really fun to see. He didn't play in the preseason, right? I don't recall. No, he didn't play in the preseason. He hurt his hamstring, and he's been sidelined ever since. Now, Mario Addison did play in the preseason finale. Um, 21 snaps, I believe it was, against the 49ers, if I'm right. Remind <laughs> people who he is, because I you said that you like texted me the name, and like I want to talk about him, and I'm like, well, who, who, who again is Addison? I, I've lost track. So Addison's a guy uh, who I, I think, you know, Nick Casario was pretty excited about bringing in this year because him and Jerry Hughes were teammates for the last couple of years, <clears throat> excuse me, in Buffalo. Addison's been a very successful pass rusher in his career over about the last five or six seasons uh, in the league. He's averaged pretty close to eight, eight and a half sacks a season, had a really good season about four years ago where he put up 11 sacks, has had a couple of three, nine sack seasons. Um, for a team that, you know, going into that Chargers game this past Sunday, Robert, was, I think, amongst the top in uh, quarterback pressures and sacks of their opponents. They're still, I think, sixth with, um, boy, you know, I've been through so many numbers today. I think nine or 11 sacks, whatever it is on the season, but they certainly didn't get to the quarterback this last weekend. He's supposed to really help bolster a pass rush uh, that has struggled. Um, and has really been behind Jerry Hughes, who's got four of those sacks alone this season. Jonathan Grenard's got to get it going. And I think, you know, with Addison coming back, Grenard going into a, a third season, slow start, can really maybe light a fire under him and just this defense uh, in large. But that continuity between Addison and Hughes was really something in Buffalo. And so I'm looking forward to seeing that with the Texans. I want to see Grenard back up what he said on Twitter. He said, we got to be better. I need to do more. Simple. H-Town, y'all deserve better, and hopefully he can back that up. Uh, Sean, you asked Lovey what he needs to see from Damian Pierce to have him on the field more in high-leverage situations in the press conference this week. And you said for the example of fourth and one, or Lovey asked you and then you said, yeah, fourth and one, but you could say that way beyond that. Lovey says, we only play one running back. Some plays he's not going to be out there, quote-unquote. He went on to say it wasn't Rex that messed up the play. Somebody else missed the block. He said that if he said that if, if it was good enough, a good enough excuse 
not to have your best. Well, he didn't say this, but let me just put this in his mouth. What is it a good enough excuse not to have your best offensive weapon on the field? Levy, that's what you need to say. That was that the good, good enough excuse not to have your best offensive weapon on the field. Frankly, when he answered your question, I just thought it was completely tone deaf. This is not about one play. It's four games, four failed fourth quarters. He didn't sound as arrogant as Bill O'Brien was making uh, making an excuse, but that's all I can give him credit for. Part of his response maybe is is my fault because I wasn't prepared for his quick response to my question. When he asked me specifically, am I referring to the fourth and one? I was in part as a part of my question, but what I really wanted to ask him, and I'm going to ask him on Friday, um, is the fact that Damian Pierce and his usage has steadily increased through the first four weeks. Um, if you go back and look, don't look at the carries, just look at the total snaps that he was on the field for, you know, 29% in week one, going up to like, I think 42% week two, 63% week three, and then maybe it was 59 or 68%, uh, whatever it is in that region week four. That's what I was more interested in. And the fact that he had not been on the field late in games, period. Um, from the 618 mark in to the final buzzer. Hadn't been on the field, except for notwithstanding that ridiculous last botched two-yard run in the Chargers game, which I think was supposed to be a kneel down. I, I still don't know what exactly <laughs> happened there. Yeah, we didn't talk about but, it, but what was that? That was... Well, he was asked about that, actually, and I don't remember his response, but he was asked about that on Monday, and he just excused it away pretty quickly. I think he said something about, well, we got to practice those. What situations are you – when is that applicable in any game? And you talk about Damian Pierce, and I brought this stat up in the show yesterday with our fantasy expert, Andy Rio, and this might shock you and Texans fans, but if you look at all the running backs in the NFL with a minimum of 60 carries this season – Damian Pierce is number three in yards per carry, 5.3 yards per carry. Again, it was fourth and one. He's one of the three best running backs on, well, in the league, on your team. He's like number one, and then you don't even have a number two, three, or four, apparently, because he's the only one pretty much you're giving carries to these days. The only two backs averaging more on that workload, Nick Chubb and Saquon Barkley. That's the list. That's the list with that many carries at least and that many yards per carry. And by the way, Chubb, 81 carries, Barkley, 84 carries, Pierce, 60 carries. Come on, guys. Give them the rock, especially when it matters. I I just feel like we're beating a dead horse, but, man, this is important. You're 0-3 at 1. Yeah, I wrote an article this week on SportsRadio610.com. You can also check it on the on my Twitter, at Sean Bajani. Um, in regards to just that, you know, you have a top 10 running back in the league and, you know, number three in terms of the amount of carries that he's had compared to other guys as well. He's number three, um, a top running back in this league. Why aren't the Texans using him like one? Well, Lovey Smith has alluded to it a number of times. Damian Pierce, I asked him point blank the other day, um, you know, after the game, is his usage and how they're handling him not being on the field in high leverage situations and late in games. Does that bother him? How is he handling that? Because he's preached patience since day one. 
being here. And I think that professionalism and the amount of respect that he answered that question with really spoke a lot to a couple of things. One, he understands that the team is going to a protect Rex level right now, but he also understands that and has a certain amount of respect for Rex Burkhead, who is his mentor and who he can learn a lot from and who is apparently better in picking up blitzes and in pass protection. And those are situations that the Texans have gotten behind as a reason why Damian Pierce is not on the field in some of those later game situations on those drives because teams are going to blitz and they need a reliable back to help the offensive line uh, in those scenarios. So I get that to a certain extent, but that fourth and one was not necessarily late in the game. It was a high leverage situation. And in those biggest moments of a game, to not have your one of your best players on the field is incredulous, I think. Um, it's almost malpractice, um, whether a guy is a rookie or not. You know, forget about the two fumbles. Davis Mills has thrown four interceptions, and maybe that last one this past weekend against the Chargers, notwithstanding, he just had to get rid of it and threw it up, and it was kind of whatever at that point. But, you know, you talk all the time about holding guys accountable. Well, Damian Pierce holds himself accountable almost to the degree that you would expect a, uh, a veteran running back in the league to do. Um, the professionalism and the amount of work that he puts in, going to coaches on the daily, what can I do to get better? Let me get this rep. Let me get that rep. Let me work pass catching with the quarterback. Let me go work you know, pass blocking. Whatever it is, he's doing every day. And so I think when you see that from a guy – yeah, you look at the lack of carries. Yes, you definitely have to pay attention to the lack of usage and the snap counts and not being in the game late and in these late game situations. So I think that's something that has to improve. And I, I'm kind of curious if it's beyond a Lovey Smith and maybe Pep Hamilton decision. And maybe this is Nick Casario saying, hey, we need to you know, bring this kiddo along a little slowly not just because there's a grander plan here, but because they want him a part of that grand plan when they do compete maybe into next year. Well, the, you can't. Okay. I, I, I've heard that argument or th- thought of that argument, maybe that, that somebody might come back at you with of, well, we're saving him when we get good. Well, guess what happens? Running backs in their second contracts are a big mistake. So you better get everything you got everything you can get out of him in that first contract and it's five years and you're wasting some of those five years and he didn't have a lot of tread in college either. So this is, you know, not even that. So you got somebody that's fresh and hasn't played a lot. I mean, I, this whole, he can't pick up a a guy coming out uh, of the defensive uh, linebacking core at the back. We've seen him do it multiple times in big situations that were big plays for the Texans. And guess what? When he's on the field, guys are going to be less likely to think that he's out there blocking anybody because he's a threat to run the ball, whereas Rex Burkhead is not a threat to run the ball. I, w- I want to ask you one quick thing, Sean, because when we were talking about the linebackers, forgot to mention this, just are, are, is there anything that you've seen from any of these linebackers that sort of separates them from another linebacker? Do these guys basically look like interchangeable all the same to you? Right now, I'd lean closer to yes. But I almost want to say no, because I know Kamu Grugier Hill's tackling ability. Um, I think he'd be the first to tell you that he's taken some pretty poor angles. 
um, and has not put himself in the best position to make some important tackles. He's still second on the team in tackles, you know, behind Jonathan Owens, who's, you know, amongst still the top, if not the top in the league uh, for total tackles. I think he actually is maybe with 43 or something like that. But Conley's right up there, and you need a sure tackler uh, in the linebacker core. And, look, when Christian Harris does come back and you start getting him reps, he's going to take them from somebody. I mean, at the end of the day, it's just going to come down to, well, who's performing? Um, you know, Christian Kirksey is that veteran in the linebacker room. He's not going to go anywhere. Christian Harris isn't ready for that sort of role. Um, I think he can be a huge, huge mix. You see my eyes rolling when you said Christian Kirksey's not going anywhere. Why? He's been terrible. He's not getting coverage. He's he, he's missed a ton of tackles. I, I don't know. I don't he's, understand. He's been forced into coverage a number of times this season. And particularly, I want to go back to that Colts game where he got burned a couple of times in coverage, even in a, a touchdown, which I thought was actually solid. Um, I, I just thought sometimes, you know, it's going to take a good throw and an even better catch to beat good coverage. And I think he was victim of some of those in that Colts game. And maybe it might have been the Broncos game as well that I remember. But look. Yes, you certainly need uh, somebody that's going to be more efficient and a playmaker. Christian Harris is supposed to be a playmaker. We've seen it all through college at the highest level of college football, on the highest stage. The guy just makes plays. He's a dog, but he needs to be healthy, and he's going to be ramped up slowly. This is not Derek Stingley. It's not Jalen Petrie. It's not even Damian Pierce, Robert. This is a guy who I think the Texans are going to bring along a little slower uh, than normal, maybe even that of just like Kenyon Green, um, where it took him a long ramp-up time uh, before they decided to put him out there on the daily. I'm not just talking about in games, just practicing in full with the guys. So, for one, the hamstring, that's a soft tissue uh, situation that you constantly have to keep an eye on. No matter the age of the player, you always worry about those things. So they're going to bring him along solely just given the nature of his injury that he's rehabbed. Um, but he is going to be, I think, uh, a big-time difference maker, especially when Mario Addison and Jerry Hughes and guys like this are functioning on the defense um, together on the field at the same time. Hopefully they can get it all straight by the Jacksonville game. I, I just have a feeling that, you know, this is going to be another one of those close games. Maybe not. I mean, they're they're uh, in Jacksonville, so – Jacksonville looks a whole lot better, but I also feel like the Texans always play pretty well in Jacksonville. I think they've won their last eight or something against the Jags. So can't wait to see that game. Can't wait to see what happens. And hopefully I know Texans fans, I can tell by how many people are out there, you know, talking about the Texans that the interest is already waning. I want to get people excited about them again. I want to get excited about them again. It would sure help if they put Damian Pierce on the field more. I want to see him have the football. Please take him out of the protective case. You can you can break it open. This is not this is not a Comic-Con toy. This is an actual guy. It's going to be an incredible play, a Pro Bowl type player. Um Sean, we need to wrap it up. It's at Sean Bajani if anybody forgets, but check out his Twitter. He's out there with the Texans. He's putting up interviews and all that all the time and can't wait to do this again with you on Sunday. Looking forward to it, man. Yes, sir. Looking forward to it as well. You're listening to Houston Sports Talk.
Hey, you can support the show by subscribing on YouTube and commenting on the videos. Listen to Houston Sports Talk on Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, and Google. Don't forget to tell a friend and share our show on social media. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening.